We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled Religion or Relationship and it comes from Hosea 6 and 7. If you'd like to hear a previous lesson, you can listen online to, at our Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class. And there's no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Again, that's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class. Now, Christian Radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the Radio Bible Class on the air as a witness for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you are helping reach people that are listening in our area and on the internet. 100% of your charitable contributions goes to the expense of this ministry and none goes to salary. Now you can make your contributions safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648 and there they can take your information over the phone or send us your gift to Word Talk Inc. P.O. Box 4334 Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Your gift to Word Talk Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax exempt ministry. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now today we pick back up in Hosea, which is one of the minor prophets in the Bible. The last 12 books of the Old Testament make up the minor prophets. Now they're not called minor prophets because they are less important than any other prophet, but they are called minor prophets because their letters are shorter in general and typically because they get right to the point. Hosea is the first book listed of the minor prophets, and so far we've looked at the first five chapters. Last week in chapter 5, we saw in verse 3 that Israel had turned to prostitution in a spiritual way because they were loving other gods instead of the one true God. Things are good right now, so they are loving the world. They're loving themselves. They're loving everything except God. Because of this, God speaks through Hosea and tells them that they are in spiritual adultery. He says in verse 4, For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. Now this is why God told Hosea to do something that he didn't tell anyone else in the Bible to do, and that was to marry a prostitute. God did this so that Hosea would learn and that his marriage would be a visible illustration to the nation of Israel, and it would show how much God loves those who are in spiritual adultery. How God loves and pursues those who are loving other things instead of him. And through this letter, we see the way that God goes after us, even though a lot of times it's through tough love. He allows us to go through hardship so it will break us. It will get us to a point of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we will return back to him. And this is where God sometimes gets misunderstood. There are those that think God is mean. He's waiting to crush us when we mess up. But the Bible teaches us just the opposite. He's loving and he's long-suffering and he extends mercy and grace all the while that we are running in the opposite direction from him, chasing after our own will and our own lust. There comes a point, though, when he allows us to suffer the consequences of our decision so we'll see the errors of our way and we'll turn back to him. And that's the definition of tough love. There are many listening today that have had to learn through this very process that we are going to look at today. So this is how we ended last week. Now listen to Hosea 5.15 from the New Living Translation. Then I will return to my place until they admit their guilt and they turn to me. 
For as soon as trouble comes, they will earnestly seek for me. Isn't that the testimony of most of us? It wasn't until we got miserable, until we got lost, that we finally realized how much we needed Jesus. So God will allow us to be like that prodigal son in Luke 15. You know, they had to go off to the faraway land and hit rock bottom. There he finally came to his senses. And it was then and there when he realized and his need that he needed for the Father. And God loves us so much that he will allow us to live in spiritual adultery, but he will chase after us through that tough love. And it seems real simple, but most of us have to learn the hard way. I even have to admit that I have a few scars because I thought I knew better than God. I bet most of you listening to me today would say the same thing. You have a few scars from God getting after you. So that takes us up to chapter 6. And today God is going to show through Hosea to Israel that there is still hope and that God wants to restore them and us too. And we can learn from that. Look with me at Hosea 6 verses 1 through 3. And I'm reading from the ESV. Come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will receive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Let me point out that chapter 6 and 7 go together, and that's a lot to cover, so I'm going to have to go fast. But there's really four points that I want to make today. And the first is that God disciplines those that he loves. So that's what Hosea is saying here. He's saying that he's torn us, but that he'll heal us. The point he's making is that they see the loving hand of God, even though it was a hand of discipline. They see the correction from God, but it's because he loves them enough to go after them. So God understands the pain and affliction that he needs to allow so that we'll stop our rebellion and we'll turn back to him. Now, we love to ask that question like, why me? Why now? What is God doing? But suffering is a tool that God uses to get our attention and accomplish his purpose in our lives. It ultimately will build our trust in him. But let me say there are some hardships and affliction that come just because we live in a fallen world where sin reigns in the heart of man. Because of evil hearts, we experience heartache and pain. We see natural disasters, disease, injustice, inhumanity, murder, sexual abuse, all kinds of harm to people. None of this was God's original plan for humanity, but because Adam and Eve fell from the Garden of Eden, we now live in a fallen world. But God can still use this suffering to reveal areas of weakness in our life. Maybe a wrong attitude, you know, that's a tendency that no one else sees. Things that need to be removed, just like removing an impurity that they use when they do that in gold. Paul wrote in Romans, to remember God is sovereign. Romans 8, 28 through 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So all of us will face hardship sometime in our life just because we live in a fallen world. But that's really not what Hosea is getting at here. What he's saying is that there are times that God simply allows difficulty to come our way. There are many times that we aren't even aware where God holds things back from happening to us. 
But in that time of rebellion, he allows us to suffer and feel the misery of our condition so that it disciplines us. He really does this because he loves us. Any of you that are listening to me that are loving parents know that you discipline your child out of love. It's an unloving parent that refuses to discipline a child and teach them right from wrong. Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, my dad was a loving parent and was quick to give me the right hand of fellowship because he loved me. I remember him telling me every time before I got a spanking that this was going to hurt him more than it was going to hurt me. At the time, I really didn't believe him, but after having my own children, I truly understand what he was saying. Just like a loving parent, God will spank you, and I admit that I've been spanked by God a time or two. It was the only way that he could show me my stubbornness, my rebellion. So out of that tough love, God allowed me to feel the misery of my pain for my decision that I made. What I can tell you, though, is that I'm better for it today because he loved me through that tough love. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews wrote. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor the weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as a son. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate child and not a son. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subjected to the father of spirits and lives? For they discipline us for a short time, and it seems best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For that moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So when you are being disciplined by God, God is trying to get your attention. Remember that God loves you and he's like a loving parent. He will not leave you alone like an unloving parent. Now, if you look back at Hosea 6, verses 4 through 6, he says, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I unhoon them by the prophets. I have slain them by the word of my mouth. By my judgment go forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than the burnt offering. So let me clarify one thing. Ephraim is just another name for the northern kingdom. And Judah is the southern kingdom. So he's telling Israel that your love is like the morning dew. It vanishes quickly. Israel's love wasn't very deep. It wasn't very genuine. It wasn't that intimate relationship. It was here sometimes, but then it was gone the next. God is saying, I've sent prophets, many prophets, who have spoken my words, but you haven't listened to me. But then in verse 6, he says, God wants a relationship and not religion. And that's what the second point that I really have today that we need to pick up on. God wants a relationship with us and not religion. He wants our hearts, not just us following a bunch of rules. This is the most important point of what I'm trying to get across today, that God is saying, I'd rather have your heart than your sacrifices. I set up the sacrificial system, but I'm more that I have your heart than you following a bunch of rules. There's a lot of people coming to the church that need to understand this point. It's good and wonderful that you show up for church every time the doors open. But if God doesn't have your heart, it means nothing. 
It doesn't matter how much money you put in that offering plate. If you're not giving out of the heart, then your offering doesn't mean anything to God. Now, you can fool man by being a rule follower, but God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the heart. He says this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Samuel saw a teenager, but God saw what no one else saw, and that was a heart for God. In the end, that's all God wants. It's not about rules or religion. No, God examines our heart. God wants a relationship, which means you giving your heart to him. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8 through 9, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Here Jesus is repeating what God said about Israel through Isaiah. And now he's saying about the Jews of his day. They were going through all the motion. They were following all the rules like playing a game. And God wants a relationship and not religion. Even Jesus quoted verse 6 in Hosea twice in his ministry. First in Matthew 9, where he's at Matthew's house having dinner with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees see this and they ask the disciples, Why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus hears them and he quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. In Matthew 9.13 he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy or love and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous but sinners. He tells them, quit being prideful. My very ministry is to sinners. I have to rub elbows with the sinners because they're the ones that need me, just like the sick person needs a doctor. Now, the Pharisees didn't learn this because, again, in Matthew 12, Jesus and his disciples are going through the grain field. And some of his disciples were hungry, so they plucked the wheat and they ate it. Now, this was a big deal because it was the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to work. And they considered this work because they were harvesting wheat that they were eating. Now the Pharisees see it and they jump all over Jesus. They say, your disciples are breaking the law by working on the Sabbath. But Jesus corrects them by telling them about David who broke into the temple and ate the bread that only the priest could eat. He broke the law. He goes on to tell them how the priests have spoken ill of the Sabbath. And are they guilty? The answer, you know, they would have said was, yes, they're guilty. And then he finishes in Matthew 12, 7, quoting again Hosea 6, 6. And he says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy or love and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So the Pharisees didn't learn the first time, and they really need to go back and try to understand what Jesus is trying to teach them here. He's saying, you need to know more about mercy. I know my disciples are plucking that grain and they're hungry and they need to eat. So they're not breaking the law because they're harvesting. They're eating out of necessity. So Hosea tells the Israelites that you need to go and learn this as well. You need to desire mercy and love and not sacrifice. You need to have a relationship and not just obey a bunch of rules that someone told you about. Now don't quote me out of context. I believe commandments are good and Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But if you're just following a bunch of rules, it doesn't impress God. God gave us the commandments because he knew the problems we would have if we didn't follow them. Don't believe me? Well, just look around at the world and see all the issues that are happening because they don't follow the commandments. But I want you to hear this loud and clear. God looks at your heart. God looks at the motive behind keeping those commandments. Are you doing it because you understand what God did for you so you do it out of love? 
Are you being a Pharisee, proud of how many rules you follow and how spiritual you are? It's not about the motions that you go through, but it's first about the emotion that caused the emotions to flow. Now he goes on in verse 7 through 11. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt falsely with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie and wait for men, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. When I restore the fortunes of my people, and now in chapter 7, verse 1, when I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, and the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief breaks in and the bandit raids outside. So this brings me to point number three that I think we can learn from here, which is we should worship God in both good and bad. We should always worship God when things are going good, and we should always worship God when things are going bad. No matter the situation that we're in, God should be number one in our life. And what God is saying through Hosea here is he won't cover the sins that are covered up. Really pointing out that when he started out and brought good to Israel, they sinned against him. And that's a very common thing in our life that when things are going good, we tend to leave God out. We start doing things in our own strength. Everything is going our way and so we forget God. Now it shouldn't be that way, but it happens a lot. What should be happening is when things are going good, we should stop and thank God for his blessings. Let misery come our way, and in a moment's notice, we cry out to God. The thing to remember, though, is we should worship God in the good and the bad. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I would tell you this is a good indicator right here if you have a relationship or you're just operating out of religion. Are you consistent in your worship, whether it's good or bad? We should always give God the credit, the praise, and the honor, and the good and the bad. He says, I will restore the fortune of my people, and I will heal Israel. Then the sin would be exposed. So he goes on to say that I won't cover what you cover up. In Psalms 32, David writes about being confronted on his sin with Bathsheba. Listen to what he writes, Psalm 32, 1-4. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He uses that word cover there. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whom spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, when I covered, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For the day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. All of us that are honest and have lived with secret sin know exactly what David is talking about here. The sin that's covered up will take a toll on you physically and spiritually. You can't sleep. It seems to be on your mind all the time, and that's what David is describing here. He says, when I kept silent, I felt the cover-up of my sinfulness all the way down to my bones. Physically, it took away my strength like the heat of the summer day. And living here in the South, you know exactly what he means. But now listen to what David writes in verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you as I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And that's what God does. 
When we confess our sin to God, he is faithful to forgive us of our sin. He covers our sin with the blood of Jesus. He cleanses us. And that's what happens. It's like that burden is lifted off of us. And that's what God is saying here in Hosea 7. I'm not going to cover the stuff that you try to cover up. Israel, quit covering up your sin and confess it. And then he says in verse 2 that he sees it all. Look with me. But they do not consider that I remember all their evils. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. He says they think they're getting away with it, but I see everything. God sees everything. When you steal something and no one sees you, God saw it. When you commit a moral, sinful act that you think no one knows about, God knows about it. When you plot revenge through someone else and you think no one will ever know that you were the mastermind behind it, God knew it. No matter what you do, no matter where you are, no matter who doesn't see you, God is always with you and he sees everything. Then he goes on in verse 3 and 4. By their evil, they make the king glad. Man the princes by their treachery. They are adulterers. They are like a heated oven whose bread ceases to stir the fire for the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. So he gives an illustration here of oven dough. Just like a baker's dough, Israel's sin continues to rise. And he's saying that the sin has been inside of Israel and the sin will rise before and during even the heat of the judgment. But now he continues on in verse 5 through 7 and he says, Now on that day our king, the princes, become sick with the heat of the wine. He stretches out his hand with mockers. For with hearts like an oven they approach their intrigue. All night their anger smolders. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven and they devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen and none of them call unto me. And here again he points out how they don't have a relationship with him. They follow rules but they don't have a relationship because here they're just going through the act and they're acting in their own strength. They're doing things in their own way. Now he points out in verses 8 through 10, Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon his head and he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God nor seek him for all this. The last thing to learn is God's warning us about living a mixed life. Israel isn't worshiping the Lord, but they mix their life with the world's lifestyle. They've adopted the world's way and they've forgotten God's way. They're saying, we're going to worship idols like other nations and not God exclusively. We're going to do things like the rest of the world does them. And because they're mixing with the world and their ways and ideology, now there's little to no room for God. Israel's made room for the pleasures of the world, their possessions from the world, and the ways of the world. But because they have all this stuff that they value from the world in their heart now, they have little to no more room for God. So let's be clear here. The Bible is very clear that we're not to be a part of the world, but we're to live in this world. Now, I believe some Christians take this separation way too far. Because of their extreme view, they have little to no impact to those around them. So the Bible calls us to be separate, but it doesn't call us to an extreme, exclusive life so that we have no impact on a lost and dying world around us. Of course, then you have the other side. During the week, you have those that do what the world does. There's no difference in their life than the world, except they get up on Sunday and they go to church. There they do what church does. 
I like to call these people people that have a split personality. They've blurred the line and they're living a life that's not holy like the Bible tells us to. Now, Jesus taught on this and he said that we were to be salt to the world. Back in Jesus' day, they used salt to preserve meat, but it was also an antiseptic. What Jesus was saying is that we're to be a preservative to a dying world. We're to share and live out the truth to a world so that others will not die but be preserved by being saved. But he also meant that we are to be an antiseptic, that we are to be penetrating and have an effect of cleansing to the lost and dying world. So Jesus calls us to be salt and light in the world. The problem with Israel is they were living a mixed life. They had become just like the world. There was very little difference from them and the rest of the world. Their attitude was, we're going to worship God and other idols too. We're going to live and redefine the way that we live just like the rest of the world does. And God looks down on them and he's saying, you're living a mixed life. Probably the saddest part of this is that they didn't even know it. The reason is because sin blinds us. Now think back on your life. When have you been in a messy, sinful situation and you didn't see it or you didn't know it? People might have come up to you and said, hey, don't you see what you're doing? But you didn't. You didn't listen because you were blinded by that sin. Wow, I look down at the clock and I see I'm already out of time. So let me finish with this final thought. It has been said that we live in the most connected generation ever. Some would tell you it's because of social media and applications like Facebook. We have contact with people that we haven't seen in 30 years. Maybe since we even graduated from high school. It used to be after graduation when you said goodbye to a classmate, you wouldn't see them for the rest of your life. But today with applications like Facebook, we are all interconnected. I personally have over a thousand friends on Facebook. I have friends on Facebook that I may never ever see or talk to, but I know what they had for dinner last night. We are all connected, but studies have shown that over the past decade, our relationships have become more and more shallow than ever before. Today, I challenge you to stop and test your spiritual health. Is your relationship to God just like the Facebook friends? Is it only on Sunday morning that Jesus pops on your news feed? Are you a worldly Christian having an adulterous relationship just like Israel with the things of the world? Are there areas of your heart that you haven't given over to God today? Jesus says, if he's not Lord of everything, then he's not Lord of all. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and I just want to stop and say thank you for this book of Hosea. Lord, you have spoken to my heart just through these first seven chapters. We're halfway through, and Lord, I've already seen areas in my life that I can be a better Christian, that I can have a better relationship. I can be more intimate with you. And that's what you, that you're looking for. You're looking for that intimate relationship. Yeah, we are to have commandments that we follow, but we do that because we do it out of love. We don't do it just because we're checking the box. We're not like the Pharisees that follow a set of rules. We have a relationship with you. You come into our heart, and because of that relationship, we then obey your commandments. Lord, right now, maybe there's one that hasn't given all their heart to you. Maybe they're in an adulterous relationship with the things of the world. Maybe there's something in their life that they love of the world, that they have put on the same level with you. Lord, today I pray that they would turn. Lord, that you're knocking on their heart. You'd wake them up from this sin, and Lord, they would give it back to you. Lord, maybe there's one that's listening today that doesn't know you. Lord, 
I would ask today that today would be the day, Lord, that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. They would confess with their mouth that they need you, that they're a sinner, and they want you to come in and be Lord of their life. Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for the many blessings. It's in your name that we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.